0: Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. Welcome everybody to the Nurse Leader Network. I am your host, Chris Racinos. We are so happy to have you today listening, tuning in. Thank you so much to our lovely listeners. We really wouldn't be where we're at without you. We have just hit 10,000 downloads at the Nurse Leader Network podcast. And we're just extremely excited to continue on because we know that we are providing value. So today's guest is going to be a guest that's going to help us really start to focus in on our leadership and how we need to show up. So I'd love to introduce our guest today as Sarah Bell. Welcome.
1: Hello, and thank you for having me here today, Chris. I'm very excited to be participating in your podcast. Awesome.
0: So we actually met, I think it was, well, I heard your voice for the first time on Clubhouse. And then when we were in the room together, I was like, oh my God, she has so much knowledge. Got to get her on the podcast. But Sarah, you own Sarah Bell Coaching. And so tell us how you got into nursing and what that path looked like towards becoming a coach.
1: Yeah, it's a long story. So I'm not going to give you all of the details. I worked my way up the nursing chain right from being an auxiliary nurse is how we called it in the UK, same as our patient care technician, went to nursing school, started my career as a nurse. And along the way, as I'm sure some of you can resonate with, things go wrong. We feel very uh, badly about the things that go wrong. Setting up equipment that doesn't work correctly. That's just a minor thing. I can remember cannulating my first patient and a doctor leaning over my shoulder and saying, you know, that's the patient's lifeline. Don't mess it up. Yes, I see your face. Uh, And that's how I
0: felt. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's not nerve-wracking at
1: all. (laughs) So yeah, it was terrifying. But what I learned from that was how important being well trained was. So that led me into the role of an educator. And I was an educator in the UK. I carried that on when I came to the US because I felt that it was so important. But what happened along the way was I found that I was being asked to re-educate and re-educate. We would have a survey and the Things weren't right and education was always the go-to, but I felt, you know, this was getting exhausting and I wasn't having the impact that I'd hoped for. So I actually thought I would leave nursing. I didn't know what else I would do. So I got a career coach and I was like, whoa, this is really awesome. So I went to coaching school and just started coaching people in my organization. Through that, I started to have the impact and I learned so much about why people don't do what we want them to do. Usually everybody's intentions are good. So that was really how I transitioned from education into coaching. And I've never looked back. I mean, coaching is such a powerful experience. So. So tell me more about your coaching.
0: When you say coach, like when I think of educator to coach, I think of like health coach, but you do a variety of different coaching. So tell me how you found out about the different types of coaching and then what kind of coaching you do?
1: Yeah. So when you start going to coaching school, all of these different opportunities are in front of you. They're like, oh, it's like being in the candy store and not knowing what candy to choose. And I got fell into coaching nurse leaders in leadership just because it was a natural transition in my career at that time. I was moving into a division where we were taking care of facilities that were struggling and our job was to turn them around. And so I took on the role of a coach for those nurse managers. So it was just a natural progression. But it gave me such an amazing insight into challenges that nurse leaders have that they don't always share openly, especially with their supervisors. And that was kind of quite sad. And I resonated with many of them because I'd been through those experiences myself. And so that is really how I moved into leadership coaching.
0: Now, first of all, I want to go back to you came from, you lived in the UK, you came and now I think you said you were in Texas before, right? You're. you're I'm in Texas. Yeah, yes. it, you totally have a Texas accent, by the way. Um, yes. <laughs> but what brought you to Texas? What made you leave the UK?
1: Well, this was 20 years ago. And my husband, who wasn't my husband then, was being relocated for two years. So I thought it would just be a fun two-year trip learn a little bit about the U.S. and then I would go back and no, here I am, still here. <laughs> we sucked you in. <laughs> yeah, you did. A blind and <laughs> sinker. Yeah. So
0: speaking about, like, you said that you realized that there were struggles that the nurse leaders were having that they weren't sharing. Was that, is that something that you would say is common in the U.K. too? Like, is that just internationally we have issues with that? Or is that something that we would see more prevalent in the U.S.?
1: No, obviously this is only based on my experience and my opinion, but I think that This is not just in the US. I have experienced the same scenarios in the UK, especially when it comes to taking on management positions and how great nurses, everybody loves them. And so we promote great nurses into leadership roles, but without preparing them for what that leadership role is. Some nurses take it on and they're amazing and they don't struggle. But my focus is on those that were great nurses, are great nurses. And they just weren't aware of what the expanded role of a leader was. And they struggle in that area. What percentage? I think of, that's, oh, No, I was just going to say, I think that's across the board, UK, US, and probably other countries too.
0: Okay. For those that are listening and they're like, oh man, I'm one of those nurses that's struggling. Like how common would you say that is? Is that like half of the nurses that go into leadership or, you know, kind of go in and have it and half are struggling? Because when I look at myself, I'm like, wow, I put my hand up. Like I was one of the strugglers.
1: Yeah, I think it's the majority of nurse leaders. There are some nurses who set out at the get-go that they were going to move up through the ranks in the organization, and they were always aiming to shoot higher. And so I think those nurses were much better prepared because they were researching it and they were learning it before they went there. But a lot of nurses just get there because they were great at their job. And we see them struggle. And That just like breaks my heart, really. It's sad.
0: What are some of the things that you've, you said that there's things that they wouldn't share with their supervisor. What are some of the things that you've seen that they don't share?
1: So they share the problems with their staff. They share their lack of satisfaction with the resources they're getting. They want to hire more people and then all of those things they share. What they don't share is their insecurities, what they're afraid of and the reasons why they make the decisions that they make. So None of us just randomly makes decisions. But I think most people, not just nurses, hold those insecurities close to their chest. And by talking them through with a coach, they're able to unravel that thought process and look at things from different perspectives. And they don't want to show that vulnerability to their supervisor.
0: Is that what you got from the coaching that you received too? You kind of were able to do that like self-exploration and...
1: Oh, yes. And I still work with a coach because I figure there's no <laughs> there's no end to this, right? There's just stuff that every day something new comes up and I'm like, oh, why am I so nervous about this? And I work through that with my coach. A coach's coach.
0: That just <laughs> yeah. goes to show that like all of us could use that support, right? It doesn't matter. Even if you are a coach, like you told, it's kind of like the therapist, right? Like when you're a therapist, it's recommended that you have a therapist.
1: Yeah, exactly. And what I try to explain to nurses because sometimes they feel like I don't, they see it as, oh, I'm not good enough and therefore I'm being asked to work with a coach. But to remember, executives in organizations pay thousands and thousands of dollars to work with a coach so that they can improve and get better at their job. Coaching is not a punitive thing. It's actually a resource to help anybody get from where they are now to where they want to be in the fastest possible way.
0: Yeah. The facility that I came from as a nurse executive, I had an executive coach and it was an expectation that every single executive there had an executive coach because it's personal development. So nobody's perfect. There's always going to be change. And it was a resource that, like you said, I was able to receive it without paying out of my own pocket, but I've seen people pay Ten to $20,000 for like a year or even like every half year for executive coaching. So yes. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about as you were exploring your transition from education to entrepreneur, I've done it too. It's not an easy one. It's a very lonely one. <laughs> it can be very lonely. What was one of the like biggest lessons or ahas that you had as you transitioned from an educator to a coach?
1: Oh boy. I could have done this a long time ago. Fear is... Just, it's all over the place, right? So I was holding on to the cliff, (laughs) trying not to, (laughs) it's like, I want to keep hold of certain things, but I, and anyway, eventually my coach encouraged me just to let go that I would be fine. And it's all really about having faith in yourself and just taking the next step, knowing what the next step is. You don't have to know the big picture plan, But if you know the next step and you just keep taking those baby steps and keep moving forward, that you grow in confidence and you everything starts to come together. But if you don't let go like I didn't for years, you can't move into your new world. And so, yeah, it's just the courage and the faith in your own ability to do it.
0: I hope you all are listening because she just gave you a piece of advice that is worth $10,000. And that is, as humans, we really are wired to resist change, right? We want to kind of have the status quo, even if it's not perfect. And so a lot of us fail to take action because of how comfortable we are or because of how afraid we are of change. And so I challenge you, if you're listening and you're like in the middle of something right now, and kind of want to make the leap, but have all of that fear. You're sitting there, there saying to yourself, well, what if this happens? And what if this bad thing happens? Why don't you flip the script to like, what if this amazing thing happens? Because I have yet to meet somebody who has a, done a transition in that way, whether it's to being an entrepreneur or a new job that looked back and said, oh, I regret it. I would have totally changed it because you learn from it, whether it was like the right move or the wrong move, you really learn. And so you just <laughs> gave like, surety gave us like great coaching. What has been one of the biggest leadership challenges you've had so far?
1: Oh, my goodness. And I would still say I have to watch out for this. I'd like to say, oh, no, it's in the past. But, you know, as a leader, you're always helping other people. You're helping them grow and develop. But you have responsibility for meeting goals of the organization that you're working for. And so you need your team to perform. What I found was that nursing side of me, where all the compassion lies, When somebody would make an excuse for not being able to meet a commitment, which was part of their job, I would be so compassionate. I would help them. I would enable them not to have to meet those expectations, whether it was a shift that they didn't want to work, whether it was a policy or procedure that they were uncomfortable with. I would fall for the excuse. I wouldn't challenge the excuse. That was a huge obstacle for me to overcome, to be able to recognize something as, yes, it's true for that person. They do feel that way, but it's not in their best interest for me to enable them because they're not going to grow and get any better that way. And so standing back and allowing somebody to be uncomfortable and figure things out, for themselves rather than me jumping in and enabling their excuses. That's tough, but it was so important and like I said I still have to watch out. Was that just an excuse or was that a valid reason?
0: Yeah, it's yeah. so hard. And it's even harder when you go from being a peer to being a supervisor. Ooh. So, you have that that was my one of my biggest life lessons was when I went from being a peer to a supervisor, I really didn't know how to have the conversation with the people that like I considered friends, people that I went out with and saw, and now I'm responsible for their valuations. And I agree, like through my experience, the person came back to me and actually was crying. And she was like, why didn't you tell me? Why did I have to hear from somebody else? And I damaged not only the relationship, but I damaged my reputation as a leader there in terms of not taking action when I really needed to be taking action to help this person grow and to help the team feel safe. And so- it was one of the biggest lessons that I had. And to this day, corrective action or having difficult, even if it's not corrective, even if it's just having coaching conversations. They hurt my stomach sometimes. Like I don't want, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you got to give this feedback. And then I question myself, like, is this the way that they're going to be able to take it and grow with it? Or is this going to be really harsh? And I had to step back and say, I'm going to give it the best way I can give it. And it's really up to the person to be able to take that feedback and then do with it what they will.
1: Yeah. And that thing about being promoted within your own department. Oh, because you have two things. You have to reestablish your relationship with your peers. And I can remember one of my friends who I was working with when I was promoted, she started talking about them and why do they make us do this? And why do they make us do that? And I was sitting there and I was like, she's talking about me. (laughs) I, I I am the they, but she didn't want to say Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you have any guidance on that type of transition? Like how do we if there's folks that are like, okay, I'm you know, getting ready to move into my next position and what are some guidelines or how do they make that transition smoother?
1: I think the authenticity and openness about what is happening and so to be able to tell explain to your peers. And show your vulnerability and ask for their help and support in your transition so that you're involving them in that process, as opposed to just turning around and suddenly being a different person, letting them know you're still you. You have these extra responsibilities and you need their support and you need their help and basically asking for them to come with you.
0: I love that. Join me on my journey, right? Come with me. Yeah. I love that. What, as a coach, some of the biggest things that you're seeing out there right now what are some of the things that you're helping your clients with
1: so the biggest thing i think is that a lot of nurses when they take their management or their leadership position is they try and incorporate that into being a great nurse so they they find it difficult to let go of what they know that they do and they do it well which is doing the direct patient care and so they struggle to trust their teams. And so they struggle to delegate and they find that they're working longer and longer hours, either doing somebody else's work or redoing work somebody has done because they didn't quite do it the way that the nurse manager would have done it. So really making that separation between being that excellent nurse, transitioning into somebody who gets leads a team that does the work. And there's a lot that comes into that.
0: You mentioned a great point which is delegation. We are pretty good as frontline delegating when it comes to our nursing like patient care duties. What has to change or how can somebody begin to identify things that they need to delegate or how to delegate. What does that look like for them.
1: What I always recommend is look for the small things to begin with. I've got a background in dialysis and anemia management is a huge responsibility for nurses taking care of dialysis patients. So it's something that they would love to delegate, but they don't because they don't know where to start and it feels it's too important and it's too big. They better hold on to it themselves. But if you start looking for the little things like can you run the reports for me? Or can you talk to the patients about their medications and gradually bring somebody into that bigger process, allowing them to be successful with the first step and then delegate in the second step rather than trying to delegate a whole big process at the same time. Yeah. And so that way you're both
0: learning together. I do like that because I've seen scenarios where you go and delegate an entire process and then maybe you're a little hands off and then at the end you're like completely disappointed. And it really was like yeah. not their fault. It was yours because you didn't communicate exactly. Or maybe you communicated and it wasn't clear or and we're all subject to interpretation here. But I like that
1: right. taking
0: that step approach.
1: And the oversight of delegation. I hear nurses say, well, I don't want to micromanage people. So I don't want to But provide an oversight and checking in to see how things are going. So you as the leader can see they are moving along. That you're not going to have that surprise when the deadline comes and you're like, they didn't do anything. Well, <laughs> if you're checking in along the way, you know, and you know what help they need, where they're getting stuck. So oversight <laughs> is not micromanaging.
0: What's the difference? Like, how do you know when you're micromanaging versus when you're giving like appropriate oversight?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so when you're <laughs> micromanaging, somebody has done something and it's okay the way that it is, but it's not the way... I want it to be. So I asked them to go back and do it specifically how I asked in the first place, even though the result is fine. You've got to allow people to develop their own way of doing things within guidelines. And you're going to be micromanaging if you want them to do everything exactly the same way that you would do it. That shuts people down.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then when it comes to regular oversight, what would be, let's say, for example, you have a project that is going to take like a month. What do you think typical check-ins or oversight would look like for those that are like, okay, well, I don't want to become a micromanager, but I want to make sure, you know, I'm checking in enough. What would you recommend?
1: You can ask the person that you're working with, say, okay, I want to make sure you're going to be successful. So that's the number one. The reason why you're checking in is their success. And then you can ask them, how would you like me? And then you can give some suggestions. If they're not certain, you can say, well, we can meet every week or you can send me reports or what works best for you. And so you make it a mutual arrangement or agreement rather than just being about you and what you want.
0: Oh, okay. All right. I love that. So if I have listeners that are on the line right now and they're like, wow, this is really valuable information. I think I might be interested in a coach. What kind of support do you provide with your business?
1: So my core program is called Rookie to Rockstar, and it's for nurse managers. who I say new nurse managers, but really anyone with less than two years' experience who is struggling, because the first thing I do is go through what being a leader is. Oftentimes, I ask a nurse manager, so tell me about your leadership style. What type of leader are you? And they're not really sure because they never thought about it ahead of time. So I talk a bit about that, what the expanded role is. And there's a lot of activities where people move into that role. And then I do a lot of coaching around how to recognize your own struggles and how to shift yourself. I call it drama, out of drama, because, (laughs) and then coaching the nurse manager how to lead your team. You talked about change. Change is one of the biggest challenges for any leader. So that always brings about resistance and struggles. And so the leader themselves has to move themselves forward first because we don't like change. Either. Just (laughs) like everybody else. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we have to teach us. And then I help the, the nurse leader learn how to connect, engage with and engage with their team so that they move forward as well and support whatever the direction is the team is going in.
0: Okay. Awesome. So,
1: Yeah. It's about a 14 week group coaching program. Oh, okay. Do
0: you have something like after they've graduated, I can imagine that they're like, okay, I'm ready for the next. Are you working on any other programs or do you offer any other services?
1: I do. One of the things that comes out of Rookie to Rockstar is how important it is to be a coaching style leader. And so the next level is a program. It's not my program, but it's a program that I'm certified in that I absolutely love. And it's called conversational management. And it teaches a leader how to have powerful conversations with their team members so that they can help their team members grow, develop, and get stronger in their roles. Oh, I love it. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, Sarah, this has been a great talk. I mean, you've given us so many little nuggets If folks are interested in finding out more about you and your coaching, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, my website, www.bellscoaching.com. Awesome. And then you're also on, are you still on Clubhouse? I dip in and out of Clubhouse, yes. I'm still figuring Clubhouse out, but it's a great platform. I would recommend. I love going into the room so you can find me there. And LinkedIn is my main social media platform.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Well, it's been great. I look forward to connecting with you again, because this will not be the last. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Yeah, I will. Thank you. And you too. Thanks for the opportunity, Chris.